In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. It's an election year, and Georgia is spending big time. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein, part of the Political Insider team here at the AJC. Today, we are joined by James Salzer, who is our expert on the one thing the Constitution tells legislators they have to do every year, and that's write the budget. And this year, it's a big one, a record $30.2 billion. James, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm about to blow up your ego, so bear with me, but there's a saying at the Capitol that Salzer knows the state budget better even than the budget writers do. That's because he's been covering fiscal issues for the AJC and other papers since the dome got its gold top. And I dare say this must be the first time you've seen this much money being splashed around. Well, first of all, that's not true, but... <laughs> but Which part? The, the, about the, part, about, the part about knowing more than the budget writers. I hope I don't. For the state, I hope I don't. But yeah, <laughs> I know, I'm joking. But yeah, it's, I, the, it's a $3 billion increase. So it's like 11% in one year. Um, and that's just unheard of. I mean, there's governors that have gone through their entire four-year term and have increased 11%, you know, combined over that period of time. So um, unprecedented is not even the right word because it's, it's I, when I saw it, I was like, wow. But on the other hand, for, for Governor Kemp, you couldn't wish to run for re-election uh, with with a better fiscal situation, having all that money to spend because you know it didn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. Uh, if you're running for re-election, you don't want to be the one cutting spending or not giving pay raises or telling uh, school teachers you're going to be furloughed or you know any of that stuff. Yeah, let's get into the camp dynamic in a second. But just for context purposes, I mean, you spent you spent a, a big chunk of your career writing about budget, but doing austerity budget cuts or more modest increases, 2%, 3%, you know, that, that barely keeps up with the growth of the right. state. So usually you're writing tougher, you know, stories about tough decisions involving budget cuts or priorities being shelved or programs being delayed or, or, or positions being unfilled. And this is a very different dynamic. Yeah. I mean, in, in a typical budget year, the state, uh, a normal growth rate, this it, it, this is not a recession year, but a regular year, it's it's about a billion dollar increase in, in revenues, what they take in. So this this is spending three times the amount of money in an average year that the, that the state takes in. And in election year, generally, I mean, there's there are exceptions. Uh, uh, maybe the Great Recession period was was, you know, example of that. But there are exceptions. But generally, when a governor runs for re-election, um, teachers are pretty much guaranteed they're going to get a pay raise. Because that's always kind of at the top of the, they're kind of at the top of the food chain politically that, uh, you know, every governor wants to say, I support education. 
there's over 200,000 teachers and slash school personnel around the state. So generally that pay raise is that you generally something, you know, they're going to get something. The rest of it is all usually at most kind of keeping up with costs. School enrollment grows. There's a formula to pay for that. So they pay for that. Medicaid never goes down. It seems like it, there's always more people on needing, you know, healthcare and the last time healthcare costs went down, probably the United States was not a country. Um, it it always goes up. So those are the kind of things that you you know you you kind of expect that they're going to pay for. But this is just like I said, this is beyond unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, and 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 as you mentioned, perfect timing for a governor facing facing reelection. I mean, I remember in 2019 and in, in early 2020 before the pandemic, the stories that you and I were writing were about. Priorities will will there be enough money for both the tax cut that Speaker Ralston really wants, or the teacher pay raise that Governor Kemp really wants? Now, not only is there enough money for both, but he also can fund a all sorts of other priorities, including five thousand dollar pay increases for every public employee. Right, right, and and before the pandemic hit, they weren't going to do both those. They didn't have the money to do both those. In fact, the governor had. Uh, without knowing the pandemic was on the way, obviously, uh, had already recommended spending cuts to state agencies. So, um, and then, you know, fast forward a couple of months, they come back for a special session, they cut 10% of the budget. Um, they cut, you know, education, almost a billion dollars, for instance, just K-12 education. And now you're right, they they have exceeded that. And the $5,000 pay raise for state employees if you listen to kind of the, the the agencies talk about this, the five thousand dollar pay raise is probably as important as just about anything that they're going to be doing in this budget session because there are state agencies that have almost a hundred percent turnover rate because they're paying people in jobs that are very difficult to do, and they and and they have been increasing little by little. They have been increasing pay for some of these people, but five years ago they had people maybe even less than five years ago, had people guarding inmates, um, you know, a job that the average person, many of the average people that we write for wouldn't want to do this job. And they were getting paid $25,000 a year. Throughout state government, there are jobs like that, that are tough jobs, difficult jobs, and the pay has just been historically bad. And it just hasn't kept up. The old story on this is that, well, State government and, and government in general pays less, and you, before 2008 at least, state employees got a pension. Well, they got rid of the pension for state employees who were hired after 2008, so they don't even have a pension anymore. So they're getting $25,000, $30,000 a year you know, to do difficult jobs, and they don't even have a pension. So mm-hmm. and a lot of legislators talk to say the $5,000 isn't going to be enough. I mean, it's not going to solve the problem because- um, you know, if you were getting paid twenty five or twenty seven thousand dollars a year and you get a five thousand dollar raise, you're still you're still like right at fifteen dollars an hour to do to do some of these jobs. And again, some very very difficult jobs. Well, James, you know the headlines of this are the big 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 numbers, right? The right. two thousand dollar teacher pay raise, the five thousand dollars more for public employees, tax refunds of two hundred fifty dollars to five hundred dollars. Um, for, for income taxpayers in, in Georgia. But there's also billions of dollars of, of other spending that will benefit colleges and, 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 and new construction projects. And you've been reporting a lot on that too. 
Right. I mean, it's, it's interesting that whenever I, whenever I write about state employees getting a, a raise, I get a bunch of emails from university system employees who say, does mm-hmm. that include us? Because they're so used to feeling like the legislature doesn't, you know, all they care about is K-12 education and not, you know, caring about the university system. It's not true, but that's kind of, they kind of feel like the part of the system, the education system, they get this kind of the second wheel. The forgotten uh, the, few. Yeah, forgotten. Yeah. So essentially a, the agencies that took big cuts in in the, in the June 2020 pandemic legislative session, they took that 10% cut. A lot of them got their money back, essentially. There are also things that I, you know, after, even though I, you know, cover this pretty extensively, I had no idea it was coming down the, the pike. And, and one of my... One of the ones that just I almost didn't put in the story because I almost didn't, thought there was a misprint was six hundred million dollars for prisons. Now they, yeah. as, as you as you know, they haven't bought they haven't built a prison in a long time. I mean, it, it it's probably been you know ten years or so. They used to in the in the nineties and the the early two thousands they would build a couple of prisons a year. It seemed like they were either building prisons or they were contracting with private companies to take a bunch of the prisoners because the prison population was just, you know, was growing up that, you know, changed under governor deal. So I, I think, I think literally the first story that I posted on this, I didn't put that number in because I, I didn't have anybody I could check it with because it was, you, you know, it was, it was a typo. <laughs> I thought it was a typo. So they're, they're using the money to build, I think it's either 3000 or 3,500, bad facility and to buy a prison I'm, I'm assuming from a private prison company and in doing so they say down the line they'll save some money because they're closing for older prisons that are uh, considered like more dangerous and you know older facilities but that's just something that it's unusual to do when you haven't spent money on prisons in a long time so oh this is a huge departure on criminal justice policy from, from and then they've got you know and then we've got you know the I forgot it was eighty or ninety million dollars more for the Savannah C- Convention Center which they've already borrowed like one hundred eighty million dollars to refurbish that so that's going to be a two hundred and fifty or sixty million dollar project and they they got a bunch of money they put a bunch of money in for the uh, your favorite project the Rivian project so yeah it's it's it I, I think uh, someone was talking to me, interviewing me about this budget before it actually came out. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think this is going to be like um, Governor Kemp is on a Mardi Gras parade, throwing out candy to people because there's, <laughs> so, there's just so much, you know, available to people in this budget. So it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening. A very long wish list with lots of items on it. And again, you know, a lot of priorities he couldn't, that, that a few years ago were, would have been a huge debate. Now he could afford to, to fund them all. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. We're back and we want to remind you to subscribe to The Jolt, the daily political newsletter that helps set the agenda and the stakes in Georgia politics. In Wednesday's newsletter, well, the details on Governor Kemp's trip to Las Vegas and how it meshes with his push to expand gun access. We're back with James Salzer, the AJC's chief legislative correspondent and also budget guru to talk about Governor Kemp's $30.2 billion spending plan. And specifically in this segment, we want to talk to you about, about the pushback from Democrats. Uh, chief among the criticisms is there has been there hasn't been a push to expand Medicaid. Um, that, that that the governor could have used some of the surplus, some of this new funding, some of this economic largesse uh, to expand to fully expand Medicaid and once and for all cover hundreds of thousands of Georgians who still don't have health care coverage. Um, uh, James, you know this is something we've heard for years. This was the basis of of Jason Carter's campaign for for governor Stacey Abrams you know, centered her campaign in 2018 around a call for expanded Medicaid and 2022. Once again, it's something that, you know, we thought there could be some appetite from Governor Kemp to do in a different political atmosphere, but not with Donald Trump breathing down his neck and David Perdue in the race. Uh, and of course, something that he still says is too expensive and too costly and right, something yeah. the Democrats still say is right up their alley. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've all been covering this for years and we know it's not about money. I mean, it's about politics. And and they passed a law years ago. Um, God, I can't even remember how long ago, probably seven or eight years ago, maybe longer, saying that the legislature, I mean, essentially a legislature would have to approve. Mm-hmm. That was in 2014. But, the, but the, the math behind it doesn't, I mean, if you making the, the, the money argument, you have to work hard to try to make the argument that it's going to cost too much because the federal government is picking up almost the entire cost of it. It's not even, it's not, you know, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what the governor is spending on a lot of other stuff. The Republicans have always made the argument, well, you know, at some point the federal government might not continue funding it as much as it is now, which is, a, which four or five years down the road, that could actually, that could be true. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't make changes in the, the program then. So we're talking about, I think, you know, the, the numbers we always hear here is like $200 million. Well, mm-hmm. again, there's been a $600 million on, on, on prisons. The follow-up argument would be, well, that's $200 million every year. You know, it's an annual cost, which is true. But again, none of these programs are, are written in stone that you can't make changes to them. If the federal government, you know, were to come back and, and say we're not going to fund it, but I, I'm I'm also skeptical the federal government would come back and say we're not going to fund it because yeah. it's such a priority. And if they did say they weren't going to fund it, the more likely scenario would be that the Republicans have taken over and decided they don't want it anymore. Yeah. Um, and so then your own party is the one who is making that decision. And Senators Ossoff and Warnock have have pushed um, legislative provisions through different federal bills that would that would call on the government to federal government to pay the full cost of expansion for at least a few years in states like Georgia and about a dozen right. other states that have it's mostly about it's mostly about that this is Obamacare. Yeah. I mean, they're, that, it's, they're, that it started it was it was promoted by Obamacare. And so it's there's it's a political fight as much as anything else. 
Yeah. And again, you know, we've said this over and over again, but AJC polls have showed a, a broad majority of, of voters, regardless of party, support expanding Medicaid. It is it is a, a, a venomous topic among the the conservative base and among independents and liberals and others, moderates. It's it's just not. Right. Um, but it still is something we talk about. It's still yeah. a big part of the the daily debate because yeah. we will and be still hearing not gonna about happen. It. And it's not going to happen. It's still not going to happen. <laughs> but we'll hear a lot about it from Democrats saying, "Hey, you can yep. spend six hundred million dollars on prison, but not on Medicaid expansion." Right. Another issue we'll hear from Democrats is that the governor is leveraging COVID relief money, the direct stimulus checks that 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 both President Trump and President Biden both endorsed in order to fund his priorities that he, that he's that he's relying on a program you know in the case of President Biden that he didn't support uh in order to fund his his budget indirectly that's that's true um because it it, it was there were payments made to you know, millions of Georgians in addition there's been the child tax credit uh which expired you know the end of last year um there was there were uh uh, bonus payments for the unemployed. Um, so there, yeah, there's been a lot of federal aid that has, um, that has in return bolstered the state, the state uh, tax revenues because um, people have had more money to spend. The state's chief economist said that, um, that the, that, Georgians had saved something in the neighborhood of, I think it was $85 million or 65 or $85 million or billion, excuse me, billion dollars um, more during the, the, the pandemic than they had in the past because they had all this money going in and uh, it allowed uh, uh, low income and medium income Georgians to, um, to have some money in their checking account and have some money in their savings account to pay, to pay their bills, but also have a little bit on the side. And so, um, you know, it's, I don't, I don't even know that the, I don't think the governor would, would disagree with that. The, the, that, that federal aid has helped. I don't remember what, if he said anything when the initial, uh, aid went out, uh, under, uh, president Trump, I would assume he supported that, um, almost no Republicans supported um, what happened when Biden took office and they mm-hmm. passed another aid package, uh, if I remember correctly. And the vote on that in March of 2021, there wasn't a single Republican who supported it. And in fact, uh, if you remember uh, Governor Kemp and other Republicans here, their main statement on it was that it would the rules were going to be written so they couldn't use that money to cut taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't, they, that, that, that essentially the, the government was going to say, the federal government was going to say, we'll give you this money. You can't cut state taxes. Well, they had already, I think it was, I forget whether it was, I think it must have been the house had already passed a very small income tax cut and they were worried that wasn't going to be able to go through. Well, federal it's government came back to track that. Yeah. How do you say that this money, you know, yeah. is being used to, to cut taxes and that money is being used to. That's why to, the, yeah. And that's why the argument was kind of, you know, I, I, I was at the time going like, eh, it's not, I don't think that's right. And it, and it turned out I was correct. The, 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 the Fed said, we never said you couldn't use any, you couldn't cut any taxes at all. You couldn't use state money because what ended up happening was the, the, the Georgia General Assembly had already passed. I think it was a house had already passed a small tax cut. You know, the governor didn't want the federal government to come in and say, you can't do that. 
in the end. Or he kind of did want, in case that was a big political fight. Yeah, well, that's a good point. But but <laughs> but he didn't. I mean, in terms of like getting the tax cut, uh, and in the end, the federal government never had any intention. It sounded like of of preventing that. What they had an intention of doing is not of saying, you know, we're going to give you say four billion dollars in aid to you know solve all these various problems, and then you turn around and go, okay, we're going to cut income taxes four billion dollars. That's what they didn't want. Yeah. Well, James, before we go, one last question. Readers, listeners, viewers can sometimes see numbers and it's a lot, right? Billions here, millions here. What's your pitch to for why they should tune into this budget process, this $30.2 billion unprecedented budget process? Well, you know, I put this in all these stories. I put this in, in the stories a lot because state government pays for 2 million students to go to school or helps pay, you know, pays the salaries of probably 300,000 state employees and teachers and, and educators. And they just do, you know, they patrol the streets. They house inmates and, you know, uh, felons when they commit crimes. They handle environmental regulation, state parks. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's like, I think, three dozen or so state agencies, and they all have missions that have constituents, essentially. I mean, everybody, everybody, public health care, besides the, the public health care that we know because of COVID, uh, we know the public health director almost as well as Dr. Fauci, but more than 2 million Georgians get their health care through the state. Hundreds of thousands get mental health. And so there's just all these programs that uh, getting more money or getting less money, it's, there's, there's an importance to it. And there's, there's something that, and besides that, you and I pay for it. Everybody pays yep. for it. Um, and so as a taxpayer, I sure want to know that that they're spending our money wisely. Amen, brother. Well, all right. Here's the podcast plan this week from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Congratulations, first off, to Sarah Spencer on the launch of the Hawks Report. She has a very candid interview with star power forward John Collins, who for now still remains on the Hawks. We'll see <laughs> what <Hopefully>. happens. <laughs> Atlanta United is starting their training camp, and Doug Roberson will have an update on Thursday on Southern Fried Soccer. James, maybe you can be a special guest for his show, too. Hmm. On the Bowtie Chronicles, Falcons beat reporter D. Orlando Ledbetter. D. Led is joined by AJC columnist Michael Cunningham to dig into what the Falcons need to do in free agency. <sighs> Coming out Thursday on Access Atlanta, we look at how local restaurants are responding to Omicron. Do you say, if that sounds like a bigger list than usual... That is because of our producer, Jay Black, who is spearheading a massive expansion of podcasts at the AJC. Thank you, as always, Jay, for producing the show. Big, huge, huge. Huge. And thanks again to James Salzer, our budget guru. And I think I gave you this title, Chief Legislative Correspondent. Does that work for you? Chief Capital Correspondent? Uh, Chief State House Correspondent? Whatever you call me, it's an honor. (laughs) Well, I'll call you all three of those. He can be that for the podcast, no doubt. There he is. He's the, he's the chief statehouse correspondent for the Politically Georgia podcast. Thank there you, James, go. for joining us. And please, again, rate, review, share, subscribe, follow Politically Georgia and all of our AJC podcasts. We so enjoy hearing your feedback. We've been getting a lot of emails and texts and messages from listeners. The other day, I spoke at a conference and several people came up to me and said, this is what they listen to as they work out, which is not exactly your typical workout music, but we'll take out. We'll take it. Uh, And thanks again. We will see you guys on Friday. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. 
Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh,